Anthony Bourdain was planning on writing a new travel book with his assistant, Lori Wollever, but he passed away in 2018. She's made good on the implicit promise to him to make the book a reality. World Travel, An Irreverent Guide is that book and offers readers and fans of Anthony Bourdain's travel shows, acid wit, and unique delivery of facts and anecdotes, a chance to enjoy his storytelling again. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I talked to Lori Wollever from her home in Queens about World Travel, An Irreverent Guide. So World Travel, An Irreverent Guide. This is a book with author credit that goes to Anthony Bourdain and to you. You're the co-author of the book, and you had planned the book together. Um, But you also were fact checker, curator, researcher. Can you talk about just your own process for creating this book? I know that that's a pretty involved answer, but just your your own process for helping get this book out into the world. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, Well, Tony and I started writing the book together by which I mean we had one very productive meeting, and I talk about it in the introduction to the book, uh, where we sat down and I had prepared a list of every place that he had ever traveled for television, in some cases travel that wasn't on television, but I knew that he had spent time. And we went through the list and he said, you know, yes, no, yes, no, uh, indicating which locations he wanted to include in the book. And for those that he wanted to include in the book, he had this tremendous, uh, very detailed recall, in in some cases, of places within that location that he definitely wanted to include that had made a big impact impact on him when he visited. Uh, So that was our first and unfortunately only meeting about the book. Uh, You know, I was able to record and transcribe that, that meeting And I used that as the blueprint to move forward after he died and when it was determined that I would, in fact, continue the book without him. I had access to all of the transcripts from all of the shows that he made over almost 20 years uh, of, of making travel television. And of course, I had all of his books that he had written. I had everything on audiobook and I had this wonderful uh, working relationship with him for almost a decade where we were in constant communication, most times by email, sometimes by text. We would, we did spend time together. So I had my own experiences of traveling to various places with Tony. And I really just immersed myself in all of that material and using the list of, of locations that he had uh, decided on. I just went through and and kind of built the thing chapter by chapter, pulling in his wonderful writing that he did for television, quotes, things that he said off the cuff. He was someone who spoke almost like he wrote, very uh, precise and very, um, uh, these wonderful meandering sentences. And uh, and so I, I used a lot of that in the book as well. You'll see there's lots and lots of quotes from Tony. His voice is all over it. I like this feeling as I'm reading the book of the way that you continue Anthony Bourdain's train of thought or like you're finishing a sentence, the, the ways that his exposition 
and your writing mingle and join on the page, these two voices with this wealth of information. I just, I appreciate the uniformity of the entries for each new place. Mm -hmm. Um, And people will find addresses and information. They don't have to Google because it's right there. It's so thorough and so clear. But part of your role over the long past was to coordinate a lot of things. I imagine um, as his assistant, um, you know, those those are the things that come to come into play. And so those skills come into play in creating this book, too. I just kind of love that, that it brings this kind of layer of your other history and in, in your working relationship with him sewn it's somehow sewn into this book Mm -hmm, for sure there was a lot of uh juggling of details and and schedules Uh, of course he had uh, an extensive production company uh, working on the ground and working in advance in new york to make sure that everything was seamless when he was making television Uh, my role was almost kind of air traffic controller talking to the pre-production staff, talking to the staff on the ground in every location, coordinating sometimes with his family, uh, with his publishing partners, with any number of other people who needed uh, his time and needed him to be in a certain place at a certain time. So I did get very good at handling the details and uh, and it, that's certainly something that came into play with with putting this book together. In your introduction, you include this quote from Anthony Bourdain from 2012, where he said, it was never my intention to be a reporter, a critic, an advocate. It was also never my intention to provide audiences with everything they needed to know about a place or even a balanced, comprehensive overview. I am a storyteller. I go places. I come back. I tell you how the places made me feel. Um, I think that these words really meet this almost 500 page book in that as he offers in the best cases he can make us feel like he did at the time when he was Mm. there I feel like this is also a way to approach the book in that you're not going to list you know 10 restaurants from budget economy places to to dine or stay to luxury spots and this has to do with what he saw and did and said. And then you augment all of that with even more useful information uh, around the, you know, the places and the spaces that he was familiar with. Maybe even for those looking for a more typical kind of travel guide, um, I, I feel like it serves such a, such a pur- purpose. It's not going to be this hugely comprehensive thing about every place but Mm -hmm. it's I just was so struck by how useful the information is I mean beyond just the you know the transcription of the shows that we all enjoyed so much that made us think that you know we were going to book the next flight out (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah there's just something about it that I appreciate so it's so vetted (laughs) in other words Mm -hmm. it's maybe Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to get at Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And I'm so glad that you saw that in the text. Uh, he, this, Tony's role as a, as a television host and as a writer was exactly as he said. He wasn't giving you the soup to nuts uh, sort of service guide to any place. 
The closest he got to that would be the show The Layover that he did for a few seasons, which was a little more comprehensive and a little more uh, uh, structured like a travel guide. But it's still, uh, it's everything was filtered through that unique sensibility that he had. Every location was still vetted by him and still approved by him. And his he and his producers really went out of their way to find things that spoke to him, spoke to his sensibility, that shone a light on people that maybe otherwise wouldn't get attention. Or in some cases, people that were just doing what they did really, really well, even if that was just making a single sandwich under a bridge in Saigon or uh, you know, a, a certain kebab from a street vendor in Helsinki, you know, these things that are, that are uh, humble, but distinguish themselves by just being the best in their class, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he was going to take some time to write a series of essays about the places, right? And then now there are essays in this book, interspersed in the book, by friends and, and family. How did you decide on those, on, on who wrote them and what the focus of those would be? Mm-hmm. It was kind of an organic process, to be honest. Uh, I had my list of locations, and as I began to work through them, I knew that I wanted to fill in, in some meaningful way, those spaces that that were meant to be filled in with Tony's longer exploration and his longer recollections and and then observations of of things and places. So to call on his brother was the most natural thing in the world. And uh, I'm so grateful to know his brother, Christopher. Uh, He feels, when I speak with him, when I talk to him and look at his face, he's the closest thing that any of us have to Tony. And he had this wonderful, has this wonderful recall of times spent together as children and as adults. So there are actually three essays from his brother in the book, one about a family trip to France when they were quite young, and then uh, one about New Jersey where the family spent time when they were young and then also where they have returned to, uh, they did return to together as adults. And then one about Uruguay where the family had roots that they were interested in exploring a little bit more about that. And so Tony uh, invited his brother Chris to come along for an Uruguay episode. Uh, So that one just made all of the sense in the world. And then really it was just, as I began to research and put together each chapter, the the opportunity or the, the need for an essay often just presented itself. I had a lot of, or have a lot of great relationships with the people that made television with Tony. So I knew kind of who the players were on the ground. Some of these people I had met myself in my own travels or had just had had various interactions with throughout the years. So for instance, Nari Kai, uh, who was one of Tony's producers and directors for a very long time, she made two episodes in South Korea where she was born with Tony over the years. And in an interview with her that I did for a different project, she was really passionate when she talked about how that experience of making television with Tony in South Korea really helped her to come to terms with her own identity as someone who was born in Korea, moved to the United States, and what it meant to be from Korea and to really embrace her culture. So she had this beautiful understanding that Tony had very much facilitated. And so I really wanted to capture that uh, experience and that that gratitude in the book. So each one of them had that kind of an organic 
uh, genesis, if you will, uh, to, to, that just made sense and just fit in with, with what I was trying to do with this book. I really ha have such an appreciation for the illustrations in the book, too. It was mm -hmm. such an interesting choice to me that there aren't really, you know, photos of, you know, these glossy images of beaches or marketplaces or eating places. Um, but there are illustrations by Wesley Allsbrook. I spent so much time looking at these and admiring them and thinking about them individually alongside the writing. Can you tell us about the artist and, and the images in the book? Sure, sure. So uh, Wesley is very, very talented, and she did uh, she did a beautiful job with these. They're very slyly funny. There's just there's little sort of visual jokes in almost all of them. She really captures uh, the essence of Tony in each one of the illustrations that features Tony. Uh, she was able to draw me into the cover of the book, which I thought was was very thoughtful. And, and it was, you know, I'm in the background. It's sort of <laughs> the proportions are just right for the way that uh, that things were when Tony was around. Uh, and so Wesley we knew her because she had designed the logo for Bourdain Books, which was a publishing imprint that Tony had started at Echo, which is the publisher of this book. So she already had a great sense of who Tony was and what his aesthetic was and what uh, kind of a message he wanted to put out into the world via illustration. Now, Tony himself was also a gifted illustrator and uh, as a young man had ambitions of, of perhaps being a cartoonist. So to me, the illustration in this book just makes all the sense in the world. And it's a much more consistent look than if we were to try and pull up photos from over 20 years, over a number of networks and so many locations uh, and photos of various quality that were produced uh, on location. I think it would have been an extraordinarily difficult thing and maybe not quite as beautiful as what we've accomplished here with the illustration. Oh, that I just so, and I see what you mean about the, these sort of, you know, with a, with a little wink. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's something to them for sure. I heard Bourdain say once in an interview that he himself, for all the traveling he's done, didn't really like travel books, but this one mm -hmm. certainly seems different to me in that it carries the sort of implicit trust that he had in you to do this work with him. I just feel like all books are miraculous. And then to, so to see this one out in the world seems like miraculous on a different level. And it has to do with that trust that he had in you to do this work with him. I mean, his own words about these many places all over the world are here, the voices of others who were also in these spaces. So it seems to me that there's this void that starts to be filled in. Um, and then some, you know, for so many of his fans and for so many people who admire him, um, this book seems like a kind of a promise fulfilled. And I feel like from reading about you and reading your, your bio, if anyone was going to make this book happen, it had to be you. So how does one become an assistant for starters <laughs> to Anthony Bourdain. Um, can you share a little bit about that story? But then it's it was just so interesting to kind of read about you and piece, piece together um, how you got from that point to this point where you are now mm -hmm. talking about this, you know, this book. Mm -hmm. 
So I first met Tony in 2002. He had just started working on a cookbook that was uh, maybe the second or third book uh, after Kitchen Confidential, which of course was his major breakout uh, memoir that was uh, published in 2000. So he was looking for somebody to do cookbook uh, writing, uh, not, excuse me, not writing, uh, recipe testing and editing. And that's something that I had experience with. Uh, I had been the assistant to Chef Mario Batali, and so he recommended me, and Tony hired me to do that job. Uh, the book came out. It, I think it was great. I think it continues to, to do well, and, and it's classic uh, French bistro cuisine. Uh, Tony's television career continued to take off. I went my own way and, and did some work as a magazine editor and as a private cook. Uh, and then when I had a child, I really wanted to sort of take a step back from the day-to-day -day life of being a magazine editor. And I reached out to Tony and a number of other people and just said, I'm looking for part-time work. Here's what I can offer. Please just keep me in mind. And Tony was the first person and maybe the only person to write back to me right away. And it just so happened that his assistant was on her way out and he needed someone. And he said, I know it's probably not what you're looking for, but if you would ever consider it, I, I would love to have you do it. And it, it took about a second for me to say yes. You know, I thought I, I wouldn't just be anyone's assistant after after having been an editor, but I definitely would be Tony's assistant. I just knew instinctively that this was a great move for me and that even if uh, I, I might not aspire in my highest self to be making restaurant reservations and uh, booking cars and doctor appointments, I, I knew that if I was going to do that and give myself the time to be with my young son, that I would I would do it for Tony if I would do it for anyone. So that's how that started, that job as assistant. And he knew that I, that I was a writer and that I had ambitions beyond uh, being an assistant. And so right away, he was sort of helping me find things within his world that, that kept me engaged on a, on a deeper creative and intellectual level. Uh, shortly after I started working for him, he started his book imprint and I was recruited to do some line editing for books. Uh, and eventually in 2014, he asked if I would like to help him write a cookbook. Uh, well, of course, I said yes, again, uh, who, who wouldn't want to do that? And so we worked together for pretty much all of 2015 and into 2016 on the book Appetites, which came out in 2016. Uh, and that is a, a collection of, uh, again, recipes and dishes that are very much from Tony's point of view. It's a collection of things that he would make for his family, uh, greatest hits from his restaurant career, some of the wonderful things that he learned and tasted out in the world, traveling for television. Just a very, very personal book, but also one with a lot of practical application. Uh, and so once that was out in the world and done, we sort of said, well, what's next? You know, we work well together. I was certainly was looking to continue to do this type of work, to stay, to feel like I was working as a writer. And so we came up with this idea of the travel book and, uh, and, and gave it a good start before he unfortunately died. And, and, uh, and that's where we, that's where we left our, our partnership. You have such impressive writing credits, um, the New York Times and GQ, Food and Wine, and the list goes on. You also co-host Carb Face for Radio, which is maybe my favorite name for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a fantastic podcast. It's great. Um, I read that 
Uh, you're also working on an oral history of Bourdain's life. But before all that, as you said, you've been a private cook, um, mm-hmm. a recipe tester, a farmhand, I read. Um, <laughs> you don't strike me at all as a dilettante. I see instead the ways that these roles uh, intersect. I mean, it, it had to sort of, this trajectory had to be what it is. Um mm-hmm. And then my sense was that they, these roles actually are so interconnected for someone maybe living in New York City. I don't know. I feel like you have to bring all that to bear in doing such a mammoth project, not just like this one, but just to be able to coordinate, I imagine, um, those those kinds of details for somebody like Anthony Bourdain doing these television shows and and so on. It just it's it just seems to me like I don't know a kind of a faded thing for, for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems mm-hmm. so uh, so interesting and so magical. Um, so the pandemic mm-hmm. isn't it something that as this book is you know is is gestating or is is baking or you know whatever the metaphor could be. There's mm-hmm. a pandemic that brings to a screeching halt borders. What were you thinking, um, you know, in 2020, not just about the book, but about travel? Was there ever a moment where you were just like, uh, I don't know if we're ever going to get out of here again? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's still, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not yet comfortable. I'm starting to think about travel, but I'm not certainly not booking any tickets right now. Uh, but yeah, it was. I, I really felt like what a cosmic joke that uh, you know. I have this book coming out. It's it's in production. We're doing copy editing. This was you know this time last year, and it's all about getting people to travel and appreciate and love travel. And here we are, absolutely stopped from doing that. Uh, so it 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 was a hard couple of months to sort of wrap my mind around what it might mean for this book. Now I knew that HarperCollins wouldn't not publish it, but but would we, uh, you know, how would we position it? How would we make it relevant to people? And, uh, you know, fortunately the, the timing has turned out, has, we were patient and now it's coming out in the spring. And again, it's, the pandemic is not over, but now people are getting vaccinated. There's this sense of we are moving forward out of it we can see the light and things are starting to open up and it's it's uh there's been so many lucky coincidences and lucky strokes of timing in my career one of them certainly being needing a job like the one that tony had available to me when he had it uh so i like to think that this is just another one of those really lucky coincidences or higher power interventions or whatever you want to call it <laughs> that uh that that people are desperate to travel again and are even if they're going to wait another year they're starting to daydream and so this is the kind of book hopefully that people will gravitate toward just to get their minds open again to the idea of of, of traveling and getting out in the world or if they a lot of people can't travel you know my mother for instance um can't travel because of a medical condition uh, and for someone like her, Tony's shows and now this book are a way to learn about and in some small way experience these places all over the world that Tony went to, learned about, 
tasted, smelled, lived in, and brought his stories back to share. So uh, it would have been great had there not been a pandemic that slowed everything <laughs> down. But uh, at the end of the day, like a lot of things, it, it, it seems to have worked out all right for us. Yeah, I've, I've read here and there, you know, on on blogs or even friends, people speculating about what Bourdain would have done during the pandemic. But I think mm. that a book like this emerging in 2021 comes with some pretty impeccable timing, as you say, and that right now, you know, one year after the world shut down and we all kind of thought, well, that's it, um, mm -hmm. is picking up. People are getting vaccinated. People are much more hopeful about the world opening up again and they are heading out more and more and making plans and I feel like mm -hmm. like yeah so like like your mom like my mom for instance too is a um she was she is a huge <laughs> Bourdain fan down there in Laredo Texas and uh, Anthony Bourdain has <laughs> filmed a show in Laredo Texas where he mm -hmm. went to an Asian fusion uh food place and not a Mexican <laughs> food place on the border a lot of fun um but I digress but the, this idea of um kind of vicariously moving through these spaces from um this this person who knows a lot about traveling um and then um you know through the exposition what you what you are also bringing to a project like this I just feel like yeah um there's a, there's a lot more hope um and there's this convergence as you say with um the timing of this book so even if people aren't maybe going to head out in may or even june or something that here is a book like this for us to be able to go back to what we used to think about you know we mm -hmm. would watch the shows or we would uh, put it in our bucket list or whatever and decide that one of these days I'm going to make that trip to India or 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 you know or Portugal or wherever and and make it a reality partly because there you know there's a book like this or there was this person out there saying that there was no reason not to do those mm -hmm. things um mm -hmm. I was watching some old videos of Bourdain on Letterman, and it occurred to me that as his career was just taking off, I mean, when he was around uh, 44, up to that point, he was not a world traveler. And the world no. travel came m much more fully uh, when he was in his 40s and 50s. But it just seems like even in those early days, whatever the formula was, the, the fixers and the editors and the rest, he really was like this incredible endorsement for travel um, mm -hmm. in the way that this book is, that it's not this exhaustive look at a place, but that he and you will tell us a story that makes us think if we don't get online and book this flight right now, we're going to miss out on something pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like this is exactly what this book does. Um What's one place you'd really like to go when we get on the other side of this thing? Well, I mean, there's a long list, uh, <laughs> but I, I went to Vietnam with Tony in 2014. It was my first time on the ground in Asia. 
And uh, it was really, really special. We were only in the central part of the country. We were in the city of Quay and a little bit on the outskirts. And I would really like to go back and see Hanoi and see Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon and go up into the hills of Dalat and really see the rest of the country. Uh, it was a place that was so special to him. It was the place that really, I think first kind of blew his mind with how big the world was and how much of it he had yet to see. It was, I think, the second place he went to for television back when he was doing a cook's tour. And uh, and I, I, it was so special for me to go there, my first time traveling with Tony and the crew and to see how much he loved it. And he had, he had been back to Vietnam so many times and this, his level of comfort and his willingness and ability to share that with me. You know, he said, whenever they're not filming me uh, for the show, I, and you can ride on the back of the scooter with me. So I got to ride around on the back of the scooter with Anthony Bourdain in Vietnam. And I just thought, I can't believe this is my life. <laughs> so I'd really like to get back. Of course, it's tremendously bittersweet that it, it wouldn't be with him again. But I'm so grateful that I had that first experience. And I sort of I learned how to, for instance, cross the street. You know, we don't have, they don't have, at least where we were, there weren't crosswalks and little walking man flashing lights. And you really kind of have to uh, take your life into your own hands <laughs> when you're crossing the street. And I'm so grateful to have had that experience with Tony for the first time. Uh, and also Rome. I went for this book, I went to Rome. Uh, to do some research and to do some updating for the for the Rome chapter, but it was a very very quick trip, and uh, I really would like to go back once it's safe and spend a good long couple of weeks there, as much as I can I can afford and as much as I can uh, as long as I can possibly stay and really just kind of soak up everything that I saw kind of at a at a run. I'd like to go back and and absorb it again at a more leisurely pace. So those two are at the top of my list, but it's a pretty long list. Hmm. You know, I come across these Bourdain memes that people post on social media with these quotes from him about why we should travel and how it opens up our minds in some pretty amazing singular ways and that we can all actually do much more with this idea of empathy that gets thrown around and you know people pay a lot of lip service to it but I feel sometimes like there needs to be real action behind it sometimes and um, mm. even as we continue to witness this total lack of uh, of tolerance in our world I feel like this book from you and from Anthony Bourdain gets us to this place of maybe now as we hope the p pandemic might be quelled, um, where we can turn a page in a book and go from Argentina to Vietnam mm. and say, what a world, and, and have it mean something positive <laughs> and turn to this mm -hmm. book as we make our plans to travel again, even if other things have forever changed. Because, you know, people are so traumatized by so many things that have happened um, mm -hmm. in, in recent years. So even if we're all so forever changed that we can get back to this idea that, yeah, that we do need to bring down walls, that we do need to get out there, that we do need to eat together, 
mm-hmm. and talk to each other and reach common ground and then that level of empathy that you really might not ever otherwise be able to achieve seems really possible. Mm-hmm. So I love just going through the book and making my own list and thinking about that that those memes, <laughs> those memes mm-hmm. that I would read and be encouraged by and moved by. Um, but now it feels like, I don't know, like there's a, another kind of a convergence that's coming through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think Tony's voice is so missed in this time where people are incredibly polarized by any number of things that have happened in a few years. And he had his um, very strong viewpoints about things and and some of those are in the book. Uh, But he also was somebody that was very willing to have his mind changed and very willing to listen and to consider the other side and to to meet somebody. And it wasn't that he was going to always agree with everything they said or, or what they had done or where they were coming from, but he was willing to listen and oftentimes the tool to get someone to open up and understand and explain where they were coming from was the sharing of a meal. And he was smart enough and cynical enough to know that food can't solve all of our problems. And, and it, but what it can do is at least bring us to a common place where we can sit down and maybe for 10 minutes, just enjoy the food and then feel relaxed enough to to start to explore, well, what is this food and why do we have it? What's the history? Do we even have enough food? You know, why are people eating the way that they eat in the place? And, and why can't they have what they're eating in the next country? Or why does the ruling class have something different than what the taxi driver has? So all of these questions, they come out of food, but he really, and especially in the later years, kind of moved beyond that to talk about how people live their lives. Lori Woolever, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Lori Woolever co-authored the book World Travel, An Irreverent Guide with the late Anthony Bourdain. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rizzotti composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.